following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to the show, everybody. Episode 855 of I Doubted Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Dollimore, joined today by the lovely, talented, and indeed, as always, scholarly, Brittany Page. So I came across this Pew Research Center survey of 6,485 American adults on what they believe about the afterlife and heaven, hell, reincarnation, prayer, all of these different things. Uh Uh-huh. And I thought it would be fun to see <laughs> how we compare in our beliefs about these things. How fun it would be. To other American adults. All right. So, I'm going to read you the question. Let the fun commence. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to read you the question, and then you're going to select the answer. And something tells me that we're going to have the same answer here, but we'll see what happens. All right. I believe in... And you're going to have to choose what you believe in here, okay? Heaven, separately. Hell, separately. Heaven and hell. Oh. Okay. Oh, because some people do believe in a heaven, but not a hell. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Neither, but I believe in an afterlife. Okay. Neither, and I don't believe in an afterlife. And I don't have an answer. I'm going to have to give a caveat. It's okay. given everything we know or everything then can be that can be proven, the evidence leads me to the position that I hold right at this very moment, which is I don't believe in a heaven, a hell, or an afterlife. Okay. So, Does that answer appropriately without I mean that's those yeah. are the choices, right? Yeah. So your okay. your answer is neither and I don't believe in an afterlife. That is right. Okay. So I would agree. That would also be my response to that question. And we agree with 17% of American adults. Only 17%. It, you, you feel that's low? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's not shockingly low. It's kind of what I would expect. But I would hope that it would be a different percentage, a higher percentage. Well, 61% of American adults believe in heaven and hell. Mm-hmm. And only 1% believe in hell only. (laughs) Only hell? Yeah. No heaven, but they believe in hell. They want everyone to burn, 1%. (laughs) They're like, you know what? I don't want to see people happy in heaven. I want to see them burn. (laughs) Well, it reminds me of um, previous guest on the show, your former pastor from childhood, Mark Trailer, who who, like rocked the congregation when he came out. And outed his belief, I, I was going to, came out as someone who does not believe that hell exists. That yes. there's no biblical support for the, the the premise that there's a hell that you go to to be tortured for eternity. Yes. And, and a, lot of the, a lot of the congregation. A significant uh, portion of the congregation was like, wait a minute, they're not going to burn? <laughs> <laughs> I'm out of here. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta, I'm only going to be involved in a church if there's burning involved. <laughs> If those dirty sinners, if Jesse Dollimore 
is not going to burn for eternity, then I don't want anything part of this religion. Yeah. Well, I also <laughs> thought it was interesting because in this survey, they asked people that believe in hell or believe in heaven, believe in the afterlife to describe what those places look like. That's in this survey? Yes. Oh, yeah. And so they got into like what people think heaven looks like, what they think an afterlife looks like, what does hell look like? And I found the descriptions of hell quite quite interesting. So of the people who said they believe in hell, they said that hell is where you experience psychological suffering. 53% said that. Okay. Become aware of the suffering created in the world. 53% said that. Okay. Experience physical suffering. Okay. 51% said that. I mean, if you're going to have the burning, it's well, gonna, yeah, probably not going to be great. I mean, you're not going to be giggling through yeah. the burning. Yeah. Cannot have a relationship with God. 49%. That makes sense. And you meet Satan. 44%. Yeah. Yeah. Little, little Satan action. So this sounds exactly like life on earth to me, with the exception of meeting Satan. You, I don't know. Ex- Have you ever met Matt Gates? <laughs> I, I haven't. <laughs> Experience psychological suffering. Become aware of the suffering created in the world. Experience physical suffering. Can't have a relationship with God or don't have a relationship with God. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like just... Me being alive. Life is a fucking nightmare. <laughs> I mean, not all the time, but, you know, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, psychological suffering. Yeah. <laughs> aware of the suffering in the world. Mm-hmm. This is life on Earth. I'm aware of the suffering in the world. Yeah. I suffer psychologically sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, this is what heaven is like for the people that believe in heaven. You're free from suffering reunited with loved ones you can meet god are you unaware of the suffering in the world or there's no more suffering are you unaware of hell being in heaven they don't get to that so don't worry about that you're having a good time <laughs> Quit it's, asking important questions you have a perfectly healthy body 60 percent believe that well, you have a body you're reunited with pets and animals huh well that would be nice that's yeah, nice that's very nice i love to see popeye again that's lovely yeah that, all the dogs that you ever had uh, because that's now you're just now it's like listen, a hoarder house with all the dogs. You're and wanting the cats. you're wanting to get into a lot of specifics. I think that the point is it's a good time. Pew and hell not, is a bad time. You did not get into that. <laughs> so yeah, apparently we are on the same page in terms of in terms of our beliefs and and our beliefs about hell too. Listen, I think I used to probably be I used to probably be maybe sometime along the line of something. Uh, someone who who thought less of people who believe. But if, listen, if, if I could be wrong, sure, I could be wrong about how I believe about things. But if it gets you through the day believing that there's a heaven and you're not one of these people who insists that people have to burn for you to have a happy life, and then that's fine. If it's, you're not hurting anybody with your beliefs, believe what you got to believe, I, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I don't, I don't you know. After all, life is a fucking nightmare. And if it helped you get through, then fucking great. Well, and I think in the past, you probably would have would have said differently because, of course, you know, going through the angry atheist phase, which happens happens for a lot of atheists, not necessarily all of them. But, um, you know, there there was a period certainly for me where I also felt that and we're actually going to have a guest on for our next episode to talk about these issues a little bit more in depth. But 
the issue of whether or not God exists is is exists is no longer super interesting or something that we spend a lot of time talking about or thinking about because yeah. when you lose your faith and then it just becomes kind of unimportant to you the the religious aspect the of god all that. question or or you mean just religiosity in general religiosity in general yeah, yeah. It, it becomes more about what what can we do to improve things here on earth with the time that we have and that really becomes the focus well this is a question i think that is good to talk about for occasionally because there are there's a a large percentage of people out there who will think who will find out that i'm that i consider myself an atheist or just not a believer anymore and they'll be upset or they'll stop taking my opinion seriously or they'll stop engaging with my content altogether Mm -hmm. when up to this point not knowing that i was a non-believer they were into my the oh he's he believes in humanity and he's a, a supporter of gay rights and and uh equality for all mm-hmm. and they were into it but then once they find out oh not a believer doesn't believe Jesus is the specific son of god all of a sudden oh no that guy's bad news and i'd like to um remove that stigma mm-hmm. for for people who who don't believe right. because i'm the same person as before you and I don't hold any of your beliefs against you unless you're using them as a cudgel as a as a a battering ram to punch down upon people then it's bad news right and there's also a difference between being a gnostic atheist and an agnostic atheist someone who takes a more certain or definite position on their lack of belief in god believing that it is they know it to be true and there's yeah. nothing that you can really do to change their mind versus someone who says, you know, I don't really, I, it's impossible to know, but if you're going to ask me the question, do I believe in God? It's no, right? That and would be more agnostic. And that's where I am. It's given what we know, given what I think is the evidence out there, eh, nah, yep. but maybe. Yeah, but I think a lot of people, when they think of atheists, that's what they, they think of. Yeah. Or there is still, you know, the Christian nationalists are winning the the war here and making the perception of atheists out to be something that is very negative and uh, making other people believe that you can't be a moral person unless you have a belief in God. Yeah, and that's nonsense. That's of course. absolutely nonsense. Well, look at the news. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, uh, there we also know people who believe strongly, vehemently believe that Donald Trump is a mighty, righteous man of God who goes to church each and every Sunday. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it'll do hell of a thing to somebody's brain. Well, okay, I have to talk about the the fake AI-created image that Donald Trump just shared of himself on Truth Social. It's of him kneeling with his hands clasped in a prayer stance. Oh, I saw this. And it's... Is that AI? Yeah, it's Oh, that fake. is scary as shit. Well, man. what's funny is he could just do that. <laughs> Why do you need AI? Like he he could might just... actually, he might not be able to kneel down like that and be able to get up. He'd need like his secret service team to get on each arm and hoist him back up to the standing position. Okay. And still he can orchestrate that. He has the people <laughs> in place, the team, the structure to be able to put that into place. The and take science the photo. exists. He can make it happen. But he's like, you know what? I wouldn't know what to do with my hands. What am I? I don't know how to pray. I don't know. Yeah, how, how do we do it? How do we make it happen? Very weird. Yeah. So before we get into some listener communication, we want to take some time to thank our new Patreon supporters. And our our existing 
Patreon supporters. Absolutely, because we could not do the show without you. So we want to give a special shout out to Shane G. Shane G. Paul M. Paul M. Ms. John. Ms. Drawn. Patrick B. Patrick B. Kathy R. Kathy R. April S. April S. Jesse G. Jesse G. Rachel B. Rachel B. And a special shout out to John J. I. John J. I. For increasing the pledge. Thank you so very much to each and every one of you. The new supporters, the ones who have upped their pledges, and the ones who have been around for any length of time at all, we very much appreciate uh, your your generosity, your loyalty, your listenership. But if you want to support the show and you're not in a position to give, there are plenty of ways to help support us that are not monetary driven. You can share an episode. You can, uh, you know, whether it be on Twitter or Facebook or wherever, you can tell a friend about the show. You can host a listening party in your home. <laughs> That would be weird. <laughs> but we love you guys. We appreciate you. We, you know, we didn't talk about it when the, the anniversary hit, but March 11th, just a week or so ago, what's the date? Uh, uh, 12 days ago, was um, the ninth anniversary of this show. Mm-hmm. We've been doing this show almost the entire time, twice a week, for nine years, and it's only because of the support and the community that is built up around the show that we have been able to do so. So we we thank you guys so, so very much. Yes. So we want to get to some listener communication now, and we have an email here. Oh, and also patreon.com slash idoubtitpodcast. Okay. That is where if you want to become a patron, you can do so. Here is the first email. Hi, Jesse and Brittany and Sweepy. I'm writing in regards to episode 852. I'm always very moved by any and everyone who takes the time and effort from their own lives to help or give to someone who is in need. I advocate for that on my social media often while doing what I can, usually monetarily to local charities. I do not live in an area where there is a lot of unhoused people, but when I do travel or venture out to nearby cities, if the opportunity arises and I'm able to, I have no issue being approached by someone who is in obvious need. My question to either of you is, sometimes I get pushback because I spotlight these individuals who are out in the world giving back and helping. They say things like, if you were in those people's, the unhoused shoes, Would you want someone sticking a camera in your face, videoing, and posting your picture to the world? And my answer is, if it brings one person out into the light to help another person who needs it, then yes, I get where they're coming from, but I also think that in order for there to be more love and kindness in this world, more people need to see and hear about it. Not everyone is going to be bold enough to approach someone on the street and take the time to even talk to them, asking exactly what they could do to help, But I've seen people giving haircuts, shaves, clothing, blankets, portable shower houses, etc. And I want the world to know that there are decent and kind people out there who aren't doing this for the accolades. They're doing it to inspire others to do the same. What are your thoughts? Thanks for being the compassion, Brittany, and humor, Jesse, and cuteness, overload, sweepy, that I need in my life right now. LaDonna, Nashville, Illinois. LaDonna! From Nashville, Illinois. Well, listen, um, uh, there's a, there's all kinds of moving parts here that kind of come ar- that all play a role in what my answer would be. Generally, I would think that it's a little I don't want to say gross, but 
it's it could fall into the problematic care, uh, category of, of taking pictures of people without their consent. So if, if they don't mind, then awesome. Yeah, do that. Mm-hmm. There's no legal issue because we're, we all exist in public. And if you're in public, you have no expectation of privacy. But, you know, it's somebody who's not in a position of power, who is in need, who's going to need that money, who who... I would just make sure that if you're taking pictures of someone to highlight them on social media, which is an altruistic endeavor, absolutely, that's great. But if they aren't, if they don't want to be, and if you even sense that they're not into it, I would not do it at all. Yeah, I think that's that's tough because the person may be motivated to say, oh, sure, yeah, go ahead and take my picture because they want the money sure, that, sure. You're, that you're giving them. And so it almost feels transactional. You know, if you were asking for their consent and you're giving them money, like, hey, here's your money. Can I take your picture? It's almost like, ugh. Like, I- maybe give them the money, like, uh, free from any uh, any strings, no strings attached, and then say, hey, would you mind, blah, 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 after they have the money. Yeah, I think consent is definitely the key. I think there also are other ways to share about these experiences that you have, LaDonna, and that may encourage other people to be giving and compassionate. I think just sharing stories of what you have encountered. If you see someone giving someone a haircut on the street, or you see, you see someone giving blankets or, or clothing, you can write about that too. And it doesn't necessarily need to be accompanied by a photo in order to sure. sway people or encourage them to to have more compassion. Sometimes I think you can just, you know, share these stories of things that you've done or encountered. And sometimes social media will react negatively to someone sharing about what they've done to help someone else. But LaDonna, it's evident that you're coming from a place of compassion and wanting other people to kind of join you in these efforts of, of taking care of one another. And I think that that's really positive. Yeah, I, there, there is kind of a cottage industry on TikTok and wherever of videos that are staged that are fake like one comes to mind of they ordered their coffee and then the guy delivered it out to the car from starbucks and they gave him like a thousand dollars or something and it was found out that the guy who who was just wearing like a starbucks apron was like their friend and they just did this for the clicks that is not at all what i'm getting the impression that Ladonna's talking about doing um, and that's a little gross because they're actually not helping anybody. They're not given to anybody. They're just trying to appeal to the better angels of our nature of someone who's going to share that and be like, look, ah, we should all be better. But they're making, you know, probably thousands of dollars off that one video that went viral. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's gross. Yeah. But that's not what I think is, is what LaDonna is talking about. Right. So, so thank you for that question, LaDonna. And if anyone has feedback for LaDonna on that question, we would love to hear from you. I doubt it at dollamore.com or 657-464-7609. A little trickery there, doing the email first before the number. Am I right? <laughs> I had no idea what you were doing. We keep things fresh on this show. We keep things fresh, okay? So we have a second email, and this is from Emma. Emma writes, Hi, guys. I'm a relatively new listener, but I really like your guys' format since you guys have ongoing conversations about past topics to continue discussions. I really appreciate that aspect. I try my best to do that in my conversations with friends, but recently I was told that I shouldn't even bother. 
Jon Stewart is back with his Apple TV show, and he interviewed some dumb fuck Oklahoma state senator that displayed blatant hypocrisy from one topic to the next. Parenthetically, freedom to own a weapon with no permit, no freedom to be a drag queen. I watched the whole interview, but there were clips on TikTok and the comments, as usual, were a cesspool. There were ardent Second Amendment defenders agreeing with the gun rights stances while also agreeing with his stances on drag shows and would not see the hypocrisy. I never engaged in the comments because I know it's a losing battle when you try to engage with anyone over the internet, especially in a format like TikTok where you are character limited in responses. But there was someone in the comments that was just replying to people trying to point out the inconsistencies with sentiments such as, don't even bother, it's a waste of time, and the like. I don't know if this guy meant to just disengage specifically on TikTok, but they made it seem as if any sort of discussion was a waste because right-wingers are stuck in their ways. And there were other comments that Jon Stewart was also wasting his time since the Oklahoma senator wasn't going to change his mind. I agree that the senator doesn't care. He is knowingly a hypocrite, but doesn't care about a stance on anything. He only cares about power. But the people that rally behind him don't realize that. They hear their guy spout bigotry and truly believe that those are his beliefs, when in fact the senator would go on television and admit to just about anything if it meant he could retain his seat. That senator doesn't care about drag queens. The Republican leadership doesn't care about drag queens. Drag queens are the GOP's latest boogeyman that they can dangle in front of the base while they continue to dismantle democracy in the background. And I think that's more the reason that Stewart and people on the Internet engage with the base. I do think that the vast majority of the Republican base will hear the hypocrisy and not care. They will do all the mental gymnastics in the world to justify their stances, so I guess it is largely a waste of time to point the dumb fuckery out when it's presented. But I also think there's going to be a few people that hear what Stewart is saying. They may disagree in the moment, but his words or words of people like him will stick in their mind. There will be a sour taste in their mouth the next time they try to rattle off their bigotry. Slowly, their worldview will be chipped away at until they realize their entire carefully crafted belief system has been a poorly constructed toothpick house wrapped in the Constitution, balanced on a pile of horse shit the entire time. To me, it seems worth it to push the conversations because you never know who that one person is going to be. I was wondering at what point, if at all, do you guys consider attempting to move the conversation forward a waste of time? Love the show, and the Ainsley Earhart drop is the best part. What about the majority? I'm tired of protecting the minority. So when is attempting to move the conversation forward a waste of time? This is something we talk about a lot. We get a lot of questions specifically around the holidays of should I talk to my family members? Should I engage with my family members on politics? What should we do? And we always come down on, I mean, I'll speak for myself. I always come down on the fact that you know best in, in your life who is going to be swayed and who is not going to be swayed. When it com- you also know your own skill set. Right. Yeah. And when it comes to the internet, that's far more difficult, if, especially if you don't know who you're interacting with. There's no way that I would spend any amount of my life and time arguing with people on TikTok about politics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I will tell you that right now because I do not think that that is going to go anywhere. Now, this is something I've recently changed my mind about, though, because I used to spend a fair amount of time arguing with people online about politics. Facebook, especially. Yeah, and to some success, I would say. I used, yeah. I used to get messages from people who disagreed with me that would admit 
privately that they had changed their mind about things or that I, I helped them see a different side of the, of the issue? Yeah, well, a lot of times you have to look at it from the perspective of if you're good at it, if you can approach a topic dispassionately, um, that maybe you're not going to be changing the mind of the person you're arguing with, but people who are witnessing it, who are reading through the conversation and the interaction, they might. They yeah. might be swayed. Yeah, and that's something Emma was touching on in the email here is that there may be Republicans who watch the John Stewart exchange mm-hmm. with the senator and think, wow, this guy is not performing well and John Stewart's really catching him in some of these traps. How many people are going to be in that boat? I don't know. But I think uh, people are more likely to, in the privacy of their own homes, secretly to themselves, admit that they're wrong, rather than do that publicly when they feel they are being shamed on a public forum, like like in a comment. You know, I, I always tell the story of someone that I was dating when I was a teenager who told me that I was white trash and... It was right before they dropped me off at my house, and it was because my mom had parked the car in the yard. <laughs> and <laughs> classic white trash. <laughs> and I got pissed off, and I I walked in the house, and I was mad, and I was insulted, and I went to my room, and I sat on my bed, and I was thinking about it, and I was like, "Why am I mad? Like I'm totally white trash. Like yeah. it's yeah. totally true, you yeah. know." Um, but I wouldn't have admitted that. I would have defended myself against the accusation, even though I knew the truth. Yeah. But I had to kind of sit with it myself privately in order to admit that. And I think that that's what happens in politics, too, is people are going to be reluctant to, in the moment, admit that they're wrong about their precious little beliefs. It's something that may happen privately, though. Yeah, it, it's it, it's a moving target. There's a lot of elements, a lot of moving parts. It, it's, it's a complex machinery. Uh, communication is. And... Uh, there's there's no easy answer. I, I would just say stick to your strengths. My, my strength is not, I get pissed off. So I, I don't, uh, I, I rarely engage with trolls or people who are who are coming at me in, in what I consider not good faith. But mm-hmm. if someone really has questions, absolutely, I will, I'll engage. Um, if we're going to have an earnest and honest discussion back and forth. Right. You know, I watched... Last night we were laying in bed getting ready to to to, to crash, and I I played very briefly uh, a, a video of David Pakman, like some debate bro wanted to debate him, and the guy showed up in a phone call and was not engaging in good faith, and if that's the I would have cut that off way earlier than David did. I would have been like, yeah, you're not here trying to to actually have a conversation, fucko. So you're eh, hang up, you know. Mm-hmm. But he was far more patient <laughs> than, than I would have been. So, yeah. um, g- great question. Um, we would invite you to to give your perspective on this as well. Six five seven four six four seventy six zero nine. Of course, you can email as Brittany just mentioned from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. Let's move it along. The whole power structure's coming down. Number one show in the world right now. <laughs> Yeah, number one show in the world right now. Oh, God. Here we go. Stalemocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. Well, the Republicans are all over restricting 
educational materials in schools and, they love it. and books and topics and you can't say certain things and you can't teach certain things. And this is continuing in Florida where they are apparently wanting to ban young girls in certain grades from being able to talk about their period. I'm Stephanie Suskind taking a close look at House Bill 1069, the center of a lot of controversy right now over an exchange between one state representative and the sponsor of the bill about human sexuality taught in the classroom. If little girls experience their menstrual cycle in fifth grade or fourth grade, will that prohibit conversations from them um, since they are in the grade lower than sixth grade? You're recognized. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, it would. That's the exchange that sparked the controversy during a committee hearing as former teacher and Miami-Dade representative Ashley Gant questioned Bill 1069 sponsor Representative Stan McLean about the language that says, quote, instruction in human sexuality may only occur in grades 6 through 12. McLean went on to say penalizing teachers for having those discussions is not the intent of the bill. For the first time in a while, I was appalled. I was I was really upset that the bill sponsor so quickly um, answered yes. Annie Filkowski with Planned Parenthood says this legislation could have harmful impacts on young girls. It's critical for young people to be informed about their bodies and to not feel shame when it comes to menstruating, when it comes to knowing their body parts, um, and especially when it comes to being able to go to your teacher or the school nurse if something comes up um, and and you need support. We believe that that's the appropriate age to um, to have these types of to have this type of instruction take place. While McLean said he was open to future tweaks, are you amenable to amendments that will put in place the ability for little girls to still have that conversation? when appropriate, um, if that does occur. I would be. I, w- I would be amenable to having a conversation about it as a re- in context with what we're trying to achieve in the bill. The bill moved forward out of this committee as is. The human sexuality component is just one small part of this 14-page bill. The majority of it deals with expanding on the parents' and community members' rights to challenge library books and other instructional materials in classrooms. Stephanie Suskind, WPT News Channel 5. Florida, man. Florida. In addition to other things, the bill that they're talking about, their House Bill 1069, would require that instruction on sexual health, like health education and sexually transmitted diseases and human sexuality, that that only occurs in grades 6 through 12. Yeah. So the point that, that you heard there from State Rep Ashley Gant was that there are girls who get their period before that grade. Yeah. Before sixth grade. Well, when I was growing up, fifth grade was when girls got sex ed. And yes. sixth grade is when boys got sex ed because girls mature more quickly, earlier than boys. I remember getting watching a video in fifth grade. So I, I that sounds right to me. But I, I want to play the exchange again between the the state rep that proposed this bill and the state rep that that was questioning him. Does this bill prohibit conversations um, about menstrual cycles? Because we know that typically the ages is between 10 and 15. So if little girls experience their menstrual cycle in fifth grade or fourth grade, will that prohibit conversations from them um, since they are in the grade lower than sixth grade? You're recognized. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, It would. And he has no problem saying that it would it would prohibit 
conversations with them about a thing that is actively happening to them. And I can only imagine, because I've never had a period, um, it must be, especially if, you, if you're not ready for it or you're, it's not been fully under, it's spoken about or discussed with you, that you would be very alarmed if you started to bleed and you had no one to talk to about it. It would be traumatizing. Right. Well, and especially in the context of what the Republicans are also trying to do with stripping reproductive rights in this country. Yeah. They want to take reproductive rights and they also don't want people to learn about the the cycle of reproduction yeah. and becoming vulnerable to getting pregnant. And what happens then? It's just abstinence in all ways. We're going to abstain from education. We're going to abstain. We want to tell you, you have to abstain from sex. Don't even pay attention to you. It's, it's the Wizard of Oz. It's the man behind the curtain. Uh, it's a, just bizarre. Well, and just think about that. You know, even if he had in that moment responded and said, you know what? Oh, shit. Uh, huh. We didn't really think about how right. well, clearly they have some girls have their period younger than this and that that would prohibit conversations about something that's actively happening to them. Like they didn't even think about what happens when girls get their period, when they get their period, when they drafted the bill. I mean, imagine that. The, the other the, the other instance, it's two words that bothered me in the in the original full clip where she was asking him about, well, that we should be able to talk about blah, 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 blah. When appropriate, we should be able to talk about these things to girls. When appropriate leaves a lot of wiggle room for Republicans because they ostensibly don't believe it's ever appropriate. Right. What is appropriate? Yeah. What does that even mean? Mm-hmm. So I don't like that that nebulous language that will be absolutely in some final version of this bill that when appropriate, because it leaves a lot on the table. Yeah. Well, you're talking about nebulous language and we're going to transition to Nikki Haley and a, a recent article in Politico by Nikki Haley, where she talked about, well, this is the direct quote. Wokeness is a virus more dangerous than any pandemic. What? What? Yes, including the COVID pandemic that Which we... <laughs> over a million Americans died. But woke, that's scary stuff. Yeah, don't get out of control here, Jesse. I mean, how many people have died because of wokeness? I mean, it's untold numbers. Okay, you <laughs> might be thinking... Jesus. This woman wants to be president of the United States of America. Of course she does. That's why she's writing this. She needs to win over the base of people who are used to watching Fox News and hearing the word woke hundreds of times a day. Well, also, if wokeness is such a threat to America and the world, why why did we not hear about wokeness two years ago? Wokeness wasn't <laughs> even talked about two years ago, but all of a sudden now, wokeness is the greatest threat that faces us. Well, don't worry, guys, because Fox News's Brett Bear is on the case to ask Nikki Haley about her claim. And this is a big issue in the Republican primary as well, woke and wokeness uh, and what that means for families around the country. You're quoted saying wokeness is a virus more dangerous than any pandemic, hands down. So for those families who look, look at you saying that and say, I don't know if wokeness, you know, this pandemic took my family member. Um, what do you say to them? 
Well, I have friends and um, family members. My sister-in-law died from COVID. So, look, it's there's no one closer to it than than our family, and we share that grief with all the other families. And that's the reason why I think we need to hold China accountable for exactly what they did to many families. But when you talk about wokeness, don't underestimate the dangers of what this is doing. The wokeness has caused so much damage to our children that we can't have that happen anymore. It is a plague that will impact them for the rest of their lives if we don't put a stop to it. It's dangerous. It's unhealthy. We're seeing it with anxiety and stress on our kids, and we've got to put an end to it. You know, the the epidemic of woke anxiety attacks from children all over the country. I mean, even the way that Brett Baer phrased this question, he postured the question, and what wokeness, what it may mean for families all across the country. Mm-hmm. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. It is, it is, I mean, isn't it, isn't it obvious to most people that this is just a created outrage machine? This element of it. Yeah, I mean, you would hope as she's sitting there admitting that she lost family members. So people close to her, she's saying, died. Yeah. Died of COVID. Her sister-in-law. People close to her died. They're dead now. They will never walk the earth again. She will never speak to them again. They are dead and gone. Well, unless she believes in heaven and then she'll be reunited with them. Throw it back to the intro. But political correctness, which is really what woke is now. It's the new political correctness. That's what they mean by it, right? That is more dangerous than the thing that killed her family members. Decency, which is what woke is. It's being decent to one another, not not trampling on one another political correctness it's that is a threat more dangerous than a pandemic than kill that killed over a million americans but we're still in a position where republicans are struggling to define woke of course we had bethany mandel go viral when she was unable to define it even though she wrote like a book about it (laughs) and dana perino was in the same situation on the five and she compared it actually to porn one of the things about woke is, can you explain it to your mom? Think about that. And I remember when President Trump was running, and it was before he won in, in 2016, he used to get standing ovations initially when he would say, political correctness is ruining our country. And everybody that was clapping knew exactly what he meant. But it's sort of like the Supreme Court definition of pornography. You know it when you see it. So... The Democrats want to get you in an argument where you're having to define wokeism as if the Webster's Dictionary is defining it. And that's not what it is. It it could be a feeling. It could be a sense. And I wonder if Republicans or conservatives are going to have to define it more. She could be right. I don't know. This this will be tested. But the other poll numbers you showed are important. The one thing I don't see any candidate really doing right now is talking about a plan for pro-growth economic means and that's what americans are pretty desperately looking for democrats want to get you in a situation where you're having to define the words that you're using what (laughs) that's what she just said yeah it's it is so ridiculous i mean listen well oh you might not be able to know what it means but you know when you see it Mm -hmm. you know what woke is when you see it do you do you because really it is just decency that's what it is. Uh, Donald Trump got standing ovations when he said political correctness was ruining our country. So obviously it's a real thing because uh, conservatives, they applauded it. 
idiots. It is something we're going to continue to contend with as we move forward. But, you know, the Republicans, they're concerned about woke, but they're also concerned about Donald Trump and his arrest that didn't happen. He was predicting and telling everyone that they need to be ready to protest because he's going to be arrested what was supposed to be on Tuesday of this week. The day that the grand jury didn't even meet. It is now Thursday and still no arrest, but apparently he is at Mar-a-Lago with his lawyers and his advisors preparing for what is to come next. Good morning, Vlad. Former President Trump remains in Florida, huddled with his lawyers and his advisors in in a Trump campaign fundraising appeal sent Tuesday. He claimed that he could be be arrested at any moment. Demonstrators calling for an indictment of former President Donald Trump gathered Tuesday outside the district attorney's office in Lower Manhattan. While Trump supporters lined the road leading to Mar-a-Lago in Palm Beach. Along with fundraising, Trump has used the prospect of an indictment to rally Republicans. I just think it just kind of reeks of political revenge. And the tough part is with, with a local DA playing in presidential politics. If that starts right there, don't you think it'll happen across the country? And Kentucky Republican Senator Rand Paul said the Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg should be put in jail. Responding to pressure, Bragg said he won't let baseless accusations deter us from fairly applying the law. Former Vice President Mike Pence, a potential 2024 rival, is discouraging protests of a possible indictment. I think uh, letting our voices be heard uh, in in other ways and and not engaging uh, in protests, I think is most prudent uh, at this time. If an indictment is issued, law enforcement sources say Trump would likely travel to New York, where he would surrender to authorities, be fingerprinted, photographed, and arraigned before a judge. A potentially chaotic scene. I can assure you that the Secret Service will be with him every step of the way. A.T. Smith is a former deputy director of the U.S. Secret Service and ran operations in New York. Well, this is certainly an unprecedented event, uh, to say the least, but the Secret Service is very uh, well equipped to handle uh, large crowds, large visits, things that are uh, unique in the way of protection. They're planning ahead for anything that could go wrong. Sources tell CBS News that the Secret Service, FBI, and NYPD are working together to plan for possible disruptions in the tunnels and in the streets here in New York from protesters. And in Washington, D.C., the Homeland Security Department there has issued a bulletin saying some extremists see a Trump arrest, a potential one, as a line in the sand. So what's interesting here is that on 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 uh, Tuesday, the day it was supposed to go down, there, the crowd was. There were more journalists there than there were protesters, and the protesters are just a a scant group of of nutbags who are wearing their costumes and their weird hats and their faces covered, and the the same crowd you would expect that's like outside of Mar-a-Lago. There's a larger crowd outside of Mar-a-Lago protesting than in New York, but it's the last thing that they talked about about. Uh, the tunnels and the bridges and the infrastructure that they need to support because of more silent, organized, radical groups who might be planning to sabotage these 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 um, 
place is in New York City. That's really the danger. I don't see some large en masse protest being a problem. We'll see. I could be wrong. But I think the, the more clear and present danger and threat comes from your radical extremist separatist groups. Well, and I haven't been following it as closely the past few days. All I know is that it didn't happen when he said it was going yeah, yeah. to happen. And uh, apparently there's no way to know what is coming next. And so everyone is just kind of waiting for what is to come. Is that? Yeah, that that seems to be it. I mean, uh, Alvin Bragg is now being investigated by Congress, apparently. They're they're asking for documents. And Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan DA, who is correct. supposed to be bringing the indictment yeah. against Donald Trump. So this has all been above board. It's going through the normal process where a grand jury of you know 16 to 23 people, they've voted, they've seen the, the evidence, they've, they've listened to witnesses. They've made a determination. It wasn't just Alvin Bragg. They present the evidence, the, the grand jury votes, that the... the, the I believe the, the the bar for the evidence is that it's more likely than not, and then it goes before a jury, and then it goes through the process. This isn't an abuse of power. Evidence was looked at by many, many people, and Republicans want to make this just strictly some politics thing when someone has already been convicted for the crime that Donald Trump is now facing. That's Michael Cohen. He pleaded guilty to the crime. Well, Republicans can't decide how they feel about this indictment. Is it a bad thing for Trump? Is it a good thing for Trump? Yeah. Well, Ben Shapiro is team good thing for Trump. Look, what, what Trump knows in his bones, what his team knows, is that this indictment, if it does happen, really good for him politically. Really good for him politically. Because again, it recalibrates the race. The entire, as I've said before, the entire basis of Donald Trump's 2016 election was very simple. They hate me because they hate you. Right? The reason they're coming after me, I was I was their buddy. Hillary Clinton came to my wedding. Like, I was friends with all these people until the moment I declared that I was on your side. And at that moment, they began to target me and they never stopped targeting me, not only during the election cycle, but also during my presidency. And by the way, he was right. They did target him throughout his presidency. You had members of the FBI who were targeting him with nonsense like the Steele dossier. You had people like James Comey who were essentially bootstrapping into existence entire Russian collusion investigations based on nonsense and then leaking them to the press. You had all sorts of garbage. That was that was just being dumped on Trump day in and day out because he was a Republican and because he didn't stand for the same principles that the New York Times wanted him to stand for. And that was a pretty good campaign. When then in 2020, Donald Trump ran a very, very poor campaign. He, he ran a poor campaign on covid. He ran a poor campaign with regard to the riots. It, it was just a fragmentary campaign and he lost. And then his entire campaign became I, I didn't actually lose. Right. And, and you all have to stand out there and take the bullet for me. Well, here is the thing. When he gets arrested and indicted. He's not asking anybody to take the bullet for him. At that point, everybody immediately reverts back to teams. And everybody says, well, the reason you're going after him is because this is obviously a BS case and you want him off the playing field. And so it's actually quite good for Trump, politically speaking, to be indicted. And everyone knows this. This is not any sort of secret in politics. You think his poll numbers among Republicans in a primary go up or down after he's indicted? Obviously, they go up. A lot of people immediately revert to if the Democrats hate that guy enough that they are trying to arrest him, then probably we need to back him. Right, that that is just going to be the natural consequence of this, and so. Okay, I can't. I, I did not know it was that long. Yeah, thirty three seconds left. I must not have paid attention because I. <laughs> but I, what happened was I'm listening to the beginning of it. I know what the beginning of it says, 
And then you just kept on rambling. No, I started tuning it out and I got on my phone for a second. And then I realized, oh my God, we're doing the show. What's that? <laughs> That's Ben Shapiro talking. Oh my God, he's still talking. How long is this clip? There's no way that Ben Shapiro really believes that Donald Trump, I think he said, as soon as Donald Trump came out for the people, he came out for you. They, the, the, the establishment and Democrats came against me. They came against Donald Trump. There's no fucking way he believes that. No way. Donald Trump is only in it for himself. He's not in it for the people and making lives of Americans better. I also don't think that he thinks it's good for Trump to be indicted. Who's arguing that, you know what, it's actually really nice when you get indicted. It's only positive. It's going to be so great for Donald Trump. So good. (laughs) So great. People, in fact, it's one of the like hallmarks of a successful life is how many indictments have I encountered? Oh, impeachment's (laughs) so good for Donald Trump. Oh, yeah. It's two times impeachment, doubly good. Real good. And Jesse Waters really was having one because he he went a little further talking about my president. Yeah, they better not put my president in prison. Mm. He represents 74 million Americans. And if he's the nominee, you're putting 74 million votes in prison. What? And that's how I see it. Really? On a bookkeeping charge. He put a payment to a woman in the legal column. That was in the wrong column? Hillary put the dossier in the same column and she got a fine. Mm -hmm. John Edwards used campaign donations to silence a mistress during a campaign and he beat the rap he was and he beat the rap he didn't even use campaign it wasn't his money somebody actually gave him the money yeah this is it's the same exact thing sycophants unbelievable toadies well he's he's not alone in going to hillary clinton this is kind of the thing that's been coming up for republicans when they're asked about donald trump which by the way tells you that they there's no defense yeah they don't have a strong defense for this what what about hillary y'all and kevin mccarthy was no different about the investigation that your three committee challenged yesterday into the prosecutor from new york you guys have raised a lot of concerns about the prosecutor. But what about the actual allegations here that the former president may have falsified business records to cover for hush money payments to cover up this alleged affair with an adult film actress? Do you have any concerns about that? Look, the thing I think about, um, it was interesting. Someone, someone briefed me on um, the use of money, a situation like this before. And you probably covered this. Remember when... The DNC and Hillary Clinton paid the law firm a million dollars and and said that it was for something else, and we found out later it wasn't. It was all about the Russia collusion. It wasn't for legal part. And so they went through, and they got investigated. A million dollars they spent, and you know what? At the end of the day, they didn't get prosecuted. They got fined. Hillary's campaign got fined $8,000, and... um, the DNC got fined $100,000, even though they used a million dollars. They knowingly hid the fact of what they were doing to try to hide. Um, they got investigated. So I look at it from this perspective. We live in America and it should be equal justice. Um, this was personal money. This wasn't trying to hide. This was seven years ago, statute of limitation. And I think in your heart of hearts, you know, too, that you think this is just political. And I think that's what the rest of the country thinks. And we're kind of tired of that. I mean, we're, we're tired of that, everybody. Oh, it's we live in America. It should be equal justice. Listen, for how long 
must a rich white man be held down by the system facing a different justice system than the rest of everyone else? For too long, rich white men have been oppressed under the boot of the justice system, and they can't catch a break. Finally, we have our hero in Donald Trump who will stand up against this lack of equality in our justice system. <laughs> oh, God. Kevin McCarthy is a, a belligerent rube. How is this guy Speaker of the House? Well, again, he's not alone because Ron DeSantis, who again has not entered the presidential race, but is going to at some point. Of course. And he has largely been staying away from attacking Donald Trump, from talking about Donald Trump. But given the the pending indictment, he was asked about it and finally decided to respond. I don't know what goes into paying hush money to a porn star to, to secure silence over some type of alleged affair. I just, I can't speak to that. The crowd laughs. But what I can speak to is that if you have a prosecutor who is ignoring crimes happening every single day in his jurisdiction, and he chooses to go back many, many years ago, uh, to try to use something about po- porn star hush money payments, you know, that's an example of pursuing a political agenda and weaponizing the office. So it's perfect playing both sides. He's able to shit on Donald Trump for paying hush money to a porn star, and he's also able to get in his little jab about how this is going after Donald Trump yeah. for political reasons. And it took long enough. I mean, fi- the Trump team, the Trump War Room Twitter account, which is the campaign, and um, somebody else was like, wit- ru- oh, and it was Jason Miller, who was like, listen, silence is, we're going to remember all the people who were silent, wink, wink, talking about Ron DeSantis. And then Ron DeSantis finally had his team engineer a statement, and that's what it was. Can I tell you, though, my favorite Ron DeSantis moment from this week was in an interview that he did with Pierce Morgan, where he talked about Donald Trump's nicknames for Ron DeSantis. I haven't seen this. Is your favorite nickname that Trump's given you so far? Is it Ron, Ron DeSanctimonious or Meatball Ron? <laughs> well, I can't. I think uh, even he went off Meatball Ron. I, but. I can't. Uh, I don't know how to spell DeSanctimonious. I don't really know what it means, <laughs> but I, you know, I kind of like it's long. It's got a lot of vowels. I mean, so we go with that. That's fine. You know, you can call me and you can call me whatever you want i mean just as long as you you know also call me a winner well you're not gonna hear winner from me brother i love to hear the yale graduate the harvard law graduate pretending like he doesn't know how to spell sanctimonious yeah he's just an everyday guy everybody what's it even there's so many vowels in there (laughs) y'all He also said this week that although I was raised in Florida, the culture I was raised in, I'm more culturally attuned to like um, Eastern Ohio or or Western Pennsylvania. Yes. I'm a real Rust Belt kind of fella. Yeah. Oh, boy. Ron DeSantis. Meatball Ron. Good old Meatball Ron. I love Meatball Ron. I don't know why Donald Trump would get off Meatball Ron. Did Meatball you see- Ron is a winner. Did you see he called him Rob DeSantis this week? Yeah, that's that's a that was a banger too. Yeah. Because it's that's another that's a great tactic is like I I'm going to spell his name wrong. I think so little of him that I'm going to spell his name wrong. I don't even know that guy. Who is that guy? What <laughs> Rob Rob De, De Sancta Meatball? What? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'd love to know what you think. 
657-464-7609. And of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. It's the asshole of today. Like, I guess Idaho Republicans, I guess it's going to be kind of broad because a, a hospital in Idaho has announced that they are ending their labor and delivery services and patients are going to have to travel like an hour to the nearest hospital in order to, to get those services. And part of the reason that they are closing is is specifically because of the abortion laws in Idaho that are causing doctors to leave the state. The practice of medicine is is much more complicated than the politicians might try and make it out to be. Staff at Bonner General in Sandpoint are speaking out after the hospital announced the closure of its labor and delivery services Friday. The hospital says it's struggling to retain staff because in part of Idaho's anti-abortion laws. First on 4 News Now, Bronte Saratsky spoke with staff about the closure and their next steps to help women with the OB care they need. Bronte. Erin Bonner General tells me it's no longer safe for them to provide labor and delivery care with the loss of pediatricians and the few OB doctors they have leaving the state, fearing criminal charges for certain life-saving treatments. These are just some of the reasons that by May, they'll no longer provide labor and delivery care. May 21st, um, we will have lost all pediatrician coverage. Just two months from now, pregnant women in the Sandpoint area will have to travel over 40 miles for their babies to be delivered. Bonner General says the decision for this closure comes down to patient safety. The hospital doesn't have enough OB doctors to keep the unit open, and ER doctors don't have the same skills as these obstetricians. I am not an obstetrician. Um... If I have to deliver a baby, um, I'll do my absolute best. But I can't take somebody to C-section. I don't have anywhere near the train. Many of these obstetricians are leaving the area out of fear of breaking the law, which is also making it harder to recruit. Any new obstetrician gynecologists to this community, when the care that they provide can be easily misconstrued as having been potentially um, illegal uh, in the state of Idaho. Women who were supposed to have their children delivered at Bonner General are now being connected to Kootenai Health. An hour away, Bonner General says they should start planning now. Because it's going to, it means an extra hour in good weather to get down to Kootenai. Dr. Good says he worries doctors could go to jail for providing life-saving care, but says he'll continue caring for his patients no matter what. And then I just hope that that I'm not the one that they come after. Bonner General will still be able to provide gynecological services through its Sandpoint Women's Health Clinic. And Kootenai Health is planning to add its presence in the area for Bonner General patients to continue their care. Live in studio, Bronte Sorotsky, 4 News Now. Bronte, thank you. So this is going to continue to get worse, and this is, I recently shared an article on Twitter and on Facebook from Slate uh, about the same thing happening in Texas. Yeah, I was going to say this is not going to be unique to Idaho. You've, 
Idaho, Texas, Florida, Ohio, Mississippi. There are, there are other states where they are putting into place draconian abortion bans that are, this is, but this is the outcome they want. This is what they want. Yeah, and doctors are really struggling because they're having to weigh risks to themselves, their families, with wanting to care for their patients but not being able to to provide the care that they need. And then if they do decide to leave the state and go somewhere else where they don't need to worry about the risks to their family and, and to their, their safety and well-being and protection from the law – then what's going to happen to the women in the areas where they do leave? Um, And that weighs very heavily on doctors because they got into the field to help people. And so leaving and leaving people without care is also something that is distressing. So it's just a terrible situation all around. So hopefully the, the, the end result of this would be conservatives, hopefully women, waking the fuck up and realizing that this is not the way forward, that putting women's lives in danger, where women are having, they're they're actively miscarrying their pregnancy, and they're not able to go and get a medical procedure to remove the dead or dying fetus inside them, You, this is going to, ha- there are going to be lives in the balance. There's going to be actual deadly consequences of this and hopefully people wake up and and make their voice heard at the at the 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 polling station in the ballot box and reverse this get some actual decent humanists in there in office to reverse these draconian men engineered um legislative priorities for republicans it's it's terrible uh, we'd love to know what you think. We're going to leave you there. 657-464-7609. You can email idoubtit at dollamore.com. Once again, we would invite you to help support the show. Go to patreon.com slash idoubtitpodcast, and you can give $2 a month. It goes a long way. If we're able to marshal the size of our audience and in you know even just a, a scant few more were to give two dollars uh, as a percentage of our show uh, audience numbers were to give two dollars it would make a huge difference in what we were able to do relative to growth and production we love you guys we we will see you next time for Brittany page i'm jesse dollamore and this has been i doubt it.